Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Maura Z and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Friday, March 2nd, excuse me, and we are reading from the big book and we are on page 33, the first paragraph that begins, this case contains a powerful lesson. Today's readers are Susan R., Nancy H., Rita K., Karen A., and Lauren N. Reference numbers for yesterday's 10 a.m. meeting, excuse me, yesterday's 7 a.m. meeting is 11,111. That's 11111. And yesterday's 10 a.m. meeting, 11,000. 113, 11113. Always preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. Susan R., would you please read the 12 steps of OA? Hi, good morning. This is Susan R. in Rhode Island, and here are the 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for letting me serve.
Thank you, Susan R. Nancy H., would you please read the 12 Traditions of OA? Yes, good morning, everyone. This is Nancy H. from Massachusetts, and I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overreader. Our traditions, one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overreader who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside the enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never to be drawn in public, into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for letting me serve. Thank you, Nancy H. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. And I will be timing, in case you are not. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for, six, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the person speaking should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book. We are in the chapter more about alcoholism. We are on page 33 and we will be reading and discussing the first paragraph, which starts, this case contains a powerful lesson. And I would like to now ask Rita Kay to get us started with reading. Good morning, Rita. Good morning, Mara. This is Rita Kay. I'm grateful and recovered in Kansas. This case contains a powerful lesson. Most of us have believed that if we remained sober for a long stretch, we could thereafter drink normally. But here is a man who at 55 years found he was just where he had left off at 30. We have seen the truth demonstrated again and again. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. 
Commencing to drink after a period of sobriety, we are in short time as bad as ever. We are planning, I mean, if we are planning to stop drinking, there must be no reservation of any kind, nor any lurking notion that someday we will be immune to alcohol. You know, this this uh, paragraph starts out with a very significant statement. It said that, I mean, he writes that this, uh, that this case and the case that we just finished reading yesterday, the case contains a powerful lesson. And so the lesson, you know, and actually I looked at kind of the lesson broke, broken up into three parts. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. And that if you are starting to drink after a long period of time, if you're starting again, you're going to be as bad off as you were when you started years ago. And we have to get rid of any idea or any lurking notion, lurking notion that someday we will be immune, uh, immune to alcohol. And, you know, we look at that and go, well, you know, how in the world can I uh, be immune to, you know, to different foods? You know, what, you know what, what does all this mean? And so everything kind of points back to what we learned in the doctor's opinion, you know, that we have an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind. And what they're talking about is that we always have that. We always have that allergy of the body, and our minds are always going to go there, you know, with obsessing over our, over our alcoholic foods. And the thing about it, immune means to be not to not be affected by something, uh, affected by something. And so, you know, if I have a cold, a bad cold, and I recover from that cold, but then I turn around and I go and hang out with someone and maybe drink from their soda, you know, their soda can or something, and that person is infected by another by a cold, I'm going to have a cold again because I'm not immune to that, you know. And so I may have recovered from the cold that I had, but guess what? I'm not immune to that, you know. And so I still have to continue to protect myself, you know, against, you know, against cold germs. And so Yes, we can recover, and many of us on this line introduce ourselves as being recovered, and that means that we have returned to a normal or a well state, but that doesn't mean that we're immune. That's not what that means. And so reading this lesson from yesterday is something that teaches us exactly what can happen. All of us, you know, uh, um, I'm a victim of a victim or, you know, an experience. I have experience with relapse myself. So I know what this is talking about. Just as bad as we were before. The decision, well, I'll just have it once this time and it'll be okay and and I won't and I won't have it ever again. Well that's not the way that starts because once we reminder. Put it in our mouth that phenomena of craving starts and we've learned that again and again in, in the doctor's opinion. And with that I pass. Thanks for letting me be of service. Thank you, Rita Kay. So if you give me your name one time and I hear it and you hear it back from me, then we're good to go. And who would like to share on this paragraph on page 33? Madam, I'm on you, John K. Roz G. Nancy A. Hold on, guys. John K. is all I got down. Roz G. Melissa C. Nancy A. Roz G. 
Nancy H. Barbara. Roz. Madam. G. Matt, I got you. Okay. One time. Roz, was there a Roz? Lauren N. Yes. Lauren Roz N. G. Roz G. Lauren yes, N. Sorry to be so loud. Harlan, Barbara. I got you earlier. All right, Barbara. let me stop there. I got you, Barbara. I got a long list. Let me see if I got this right. I'm sure this order is not right. John K., Melissa C., Nancy H., Roz G., Matt M., Lauren N., Harlan G., Barbara E. John K., would you please go ahead? And everyone else, please mute so we can hear John clearly. Good morning. This is John K. Kiernan from Los Angeles, California, currently in Tampa, where I get to be on this meeting for a change. Yay! Um, there must be no reservation of any kind or any lurking notion we will someday be uh, immune to alcohol. You know, this, pro, uh, this phrase sort of dovetails with all the other ones you hear in the big book. Willing to go to any lengths, half measures avail us nothing, with the desperation of drowning men. You know, it, it keep, keeps being reinforced. Surrender, you know. And it, it, the opposite of surrender when it comes to addiction is negotiation. You know, and when I was in that long relapse cycle I was in, I wanted to negotiate what I would do or not do, what I would eat or not eat, you know. I was sort of like that Black Knight from the Monty Python movie with the arms and legs cut off, and I'm going, okay, maybe I'll give up, but here's my terms, <laughs> you know. It just doesn't work like that, you know. When it comes to addiction, I can't negotiate. Old-timer in L.A. says when it comes to uh, the disease, you can't negotiate because your disease will always win and you will always lose. And it's so true. You know, when I led that relapse workshop at the convention, I would have people come up and say, well, how do, how do I best get out of the food? And I'd say, well, first of all, make your abstinence as stringent as possible, well, at least in the beginning. You know, you, you got a bunch of yellow light foods. Guess what? Now they're red light foods for a while. If you really don't have a problem with them, that'll, that, you know, that'll work because... You know, we hear the phrase, the road gets narrower. And in my opinion, that may be true with a lot of parts of this program, but not with physical addiction. I I see people who start with a loose abstinence end up always, you know, slipping and sliding. You know, it's just my opinion. Uh, I think if you're ready, really ready to get serious about your addiction, it's what this says here. There must be no reservation of any kind. And, and you know, when I was saying that to those people, I wasn't trying to battle them. I'm trying to battle the disease. You know, all those people at the convention didn't want to compulsively eat, you know, or they wouldn't have been there. They wouldn't be in OA. They wouldn't have sponsors. They wouldn't be doing all this work. But they, like me, have a disease that's constantly whispering in their ear, telling them to find that easier, softer way, to negotiate rather than surrender. And at the end of the day, you know, if somebody throws you a life preserver like OA, you don't look at it and say, I don't know, have you got a nicer looking life preserver? Maybe something in blue or green, you know. But some people do that. And in my experience, they, they don't make it most of the time. And finally, I'll, I'll wrap up with, you know, I love where it says I'll never be immune. You know, I, I've been in program 36 years, but it doesn't mean I, I grew some abstinence gland along the way, you know. I mean, we're all just, I always say, we're all just climbing up the outside of the Empire State Building. So who cares if I'm on the 70th floor and you're on the 20th floor? We're all just one slip away from, from doing it. Gentle reminder. And, okay. And my, my, my feeling I've always said to people is the higher up you are, that, that building, when you slip, the bigger the splat. Anyway, thanks for letting me be on the air today. Thanks. Okay.
Thank you, John K. Melissa C., it's your turn, followed by Nancy H. Hi, good morning, Maura. Thank you for your service. Good morning, everyone. It's Melissa C., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. And, um, yeah, so this is a powerful lesson. You know, it's it's a warning that um, I'm never going to be immune to the effects, you know. And, um, like, yeah, we say recovered because our thinking is straightened out. But, um, you know, food, my alcoholic food is poison. And I'll still, um, that poison will still affect me. I'm not recovered from the effects of the poison. What has recovered um, is that I don't want to ingest poison, you know. And um, my own experience, you know, matches this guy's experience that, you know, I've chosen at different times to, to drink a fancy cocktail. You know, I did it. I did it on my honeymoon. I've done it on a vacation before. And I was unable to stop eating, you know, and it was quickly as bad as ever, you know, it, and it's, it's mind-blowing how fast for me it overtakes me, you know, that this allergy um, is strong. It's, it's growing strong even when I'm not eating, you know, and, um, and so what happened for me is I suffered for years afterwards, unable to stop you know, going from not wanting to even try to stop to, like, mornings where I was crying hysterically, wanting to stop more than anything and unable to, you know. And so, like, what I really learned from this is um, I'm not making too much out of this food thing, you know, and that I have to treat this as seriously today as I did the day that I cried out, help me, help me, help me, you know. I still have to be as rigorous um, with my allergic foods as I was that day. You know, I have a deadly allergy, so my deadly allergy exists. Um, There's no reprieve from the allergy. So I'm still allergic if I go to a wedding or if I'm on vacation. And like the other day, I went um, to pay a shiva call. My friend's mom passed away, and I knew it was going to be dinner hour, you know, uh, but I can't eat in, in a Shiba house, and I can't eat spontaneously. That's that's the nature of my disease, my allergy. And, you know, so, like, I plan, I prepare, and I protect. Um, I, I packed my food. You know, it was in the car. Like, I, I ate dinner when I left. Um, for me, it means that um, food is not recreation anymore. It can't be. It has to be nutrition. I have to leave it really simple. Um, you know, I have a food plan. I follow it. Um, and that's it. And I leave the rest to God. That's how I cooperate with God. Thank you. That's Time. Perfect timing. Thank you, Melissa C. Nancy H., it is your turn, followed by Roz G. Thank you, Mara. This is Nancy H. from Massachusetts, a grateful, recovered, compulsive overreader. This case contains a powerful lesson um, the way I look at it, after having binged and done it the hard way, I think there are two ways to um, take this. Either we can listen to the book and keep reviewing the fact that we're powerless over food and that we can't ever uh, eat the way we used to, or we can go out and experiment, which is the hard way. And the experimentation for me was a shock because it had been 17 years since I binged. And all of a sudden, out of the clear blue sky, that mental obsession hit. And while I was in a store... 
and I said, I'm going to buy some pastries. And when I did it, I thought to myself, I'm, I got the message from God. You know, they say the split second before you're going to take the bite, the first bite, you have two paths. You can go down one path, and that's uh, listening to God, or you can go down the other path and go into the, um, the disease. So I had to think about that, and I kept thinking, nope, this is not a good idea. This is not a good idea. But I put it in my carriage, and I walked around the store with tons of things that I wanted, and that was the hard way. Um, you know, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. When I say I'm recovered, I like to say I'm recovered but not cured. To keep in mind that this book tells me that I can never, ever, ever drink again or eat again the way that I used to. And now it seems as though it's sunken in quite a bit for today. And that when I do some thinking about, um, oh, I'd like to stop and get a pizza or, oh, that would be good if I could stop through that drive through then I immediately ask myself, because of the grace of God, am I wanting to eat because I'm craving food or am I wanting to eat because I'm running away, running away from some kind of life situation? And it's usually I can pinpoint that, yeah, it's something that's bothering me and I'm trying to escape life. So for me, there's no uh, going back. And after it says commencing to drink after a period of sobriety, where in short time as bad as ever, that uh, was a shock to me, even though I've read it a, you know, a thousand times in this book. And that's how I keep this in mind, by reading it with other compulsive overeaters all the time. And it just reminds me, oh, yeah, that's right. There can be no reservation. And when I start, you can know that I'm going to be 17 years worse than the disease than I was before. So for me, it's just a matter of um, asking for the grace of God in the morning to be willing to listen to the voice, the inner voice. Because deep down inside, I know that this disease is not going to be, I'm not going to grow new legs, as it says in the book earlier. I'm going to either stay in disease or I'm going to stay in recovery. And I want to stay in recovery so I can live instead of going to the disease so I I will die emotionally, spiritually, and physically. So for that, I'm going to pass, and thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Nancy H. Roz G., it's your turn, followed by Matt M. Good morning. My name is Roz G., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Los Angeles County. And um, I have experienced relapse a lot of times and um, flips, relapse, whatever you want to call it, I've experienced them. And the reason, as I think back on the reason that I did was usually because I was angry at something, I was lonely, or I was jealous. Those are the three main reasons. Somebody pissed me off um, and I didn't use the tools feeling very lonely and isolated, and so the food would keep me company, or being jealous of something that I didn't have. Those are always the reasons why I would overeat or I would go to the foods, the ingredients of the foods that would, you know, um, help me to forget those feelings. So um, then my disease is always looking for a reason to eat. And in Overeaters Anonymous, there's all, there's all kinds of, you know, titles of meetings or types of meetings. So the last two meetings, and these are years ago, not recently, but years ago, I, would, I attended these two meetings where it was just, we're, we're powerless over eating. So it doesn't matter what we eat, we're powerless over it. So that gave me the green light to eat whatever I wanted, but just to moderate. And then the other one was, um, 
where uh, that I was that I have a moderation problem, not an ingredient problem. Oh, you know, I'm just telling you that my disease looks for any reason to eat the ingredients that I need to eat that they, that that my disease needs to to calm me down, to ease, you know, just to get that ease and comfort. It's delusional. And I'm I'm a part of this big book study on Thursdays. I'm so grateful with Herb K to to get deep into the book. And so we we were given the assignment to look up the word delusional. And so I'm a very visual person, and I looked it up through images. I love Google images. And so there was a picture of a man on with no arms and no legs and a doctor at his bedside. And the, the caption above the, the cartoon was, so we're going to be giving you your harmonica lessons next week. And it was a joke because the man had no arms or no legs, and they were he was they were talking about harmonica lessons, and I and I and I thought about the big book and how it says we are not going to grow new arms or new legs. We've lost. We're like a person who's lost a leg or whatever it is. We're not going to grow a new one. And this man, you know, without assistive technology, is not going to be able to play the harmonica. And the assistive technology, if I may use that terminology, to me today is the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous too to give me the tools to not be delusional. I, there's a built-in forgetter, as I've heard here. It's, I'm not going to remember it, so what do I need to do? I need to use the tools. I cannot do it myself. A power greater than myself has to do it for me. Those are the tools, and that's basically the, the, the tool of step 10. So... Thank you very much for allowing me to share at this meeting. That I pass. Thank you, Raj K. Matt M., it is your turn, followed by Lauren N. Thank you, Maura. Can you hear me? I can. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. This is Matt M. with a over here from New Jersey. The phrase that stands out for me here, I have circled, is <clears throat> once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. You know, growing up, I knew I had a food problem, but I didn't know what to call it or what it was. I knew that I was gaining weight <clears throat> excuse me, in a rapid fashion, and that my clothes didn't fit. I was being bullied for being overweight. My family was disgusted with me. They just couldn't understand why I couldn't stop eating. And I used to think of myself, God, what is wrong with me? I used to think of those defective somehow, like they they can stop at one bite. And me, I had to finish whatever on my plate plus whatever is anybody else's plate as well. And uh, I used to tell myself that, you know, uh, someday I'll be able to figure out what this is. You know, and uh, I realized also commencing to drink after a period of sobriety, like there's some foods that I, I reintroduced into my food plan, which I had to pay back out because I thought, oh, after a time, I can handle these foods again, which is not the case. I found myself binging on them like like, like, I, like I did when I was like I was a man of 30, like I said there. And um, I, was, I was just as bad as I was when I first started eating those foods. So, you know, it's amazing how the brain works. It, it lulls me into a state of reasonableness and says, says, says to me, oh, now you can handle this. You can handle this. You're like, look at you handled it before. No way. I didn't handle it before. I always binge my brains on those items. So something, quote, unquote, handling it, I got to take that out of my vocabulary. My someone was the yellow light foods someone mentioned before. I have to become red light foods now. And it's really limit, 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 limiting me to what I can eat now. And it's, like, frustrating and it's, like, sad and it's, like, all this stuff going through. I'm going through remorse and, uh, Morning, it's kind of sad. Morning, doing some of the foods that I had to give up again, and 
So yeah, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. I'm always going to be a compulsive overeater to the day I die, and that's always something I have to to know. I tell myself every day when I wake up and when I go to when I go to bed, I have to tell myself the same exact thing: no amount of food is going to fix my problems. I'm still going to have the same problems I had yesterday, but I'd rather not have food as another problem added on to the mix. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Lauren N., it's your turn, followed by Harlan G. Good morning. This is Lauren N. Can you hear me, Morrissey? Yes, thank you. Thank you all. Um, Wow, what an incredible lineup we've had this morning, and I am so grateful to be able to speak and to, to talk about how this program has saved my life. Um, what an incredible experience to be able to say that I'm a recovered human being. I now know the obsession that I have daily with substances. Sometimes it's bad, sometimes it's not. Is my disease speaking to me and telling me that I can just have one and it's getting stronger and it's getting stronger all the time. I get through the help and working these steps and knowing what um, this program is about and how to to do my nightly review and to do my daily work to giving help to others, etc., is going to help me get through the next 24 hours. Usually it's not get through, it's enjoy, it's live, it's love. But today I get to experience when I want to pick up that I get the knowledge or the the muscle kind of responds up, pick up the phone, it's time to figure out why. And thank God I have a sponsor and I have lots of fellows in this program that help me figure out why and help me do what I need to do instead of going back to the disease because I know if I go back to this disease, I'll be dead. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you very much. Thank you, Lauren N. Harlan G., it's your turn, followed by Barbara E. Thank you, Maura. Uh, Thank you for your service, and thank you to Team Friday for making this wonderful meeting possible. Boy, with John Kay as the leadoff man, you know this is like going to be a a tough act to follow here with all you guys. I'm Harlan G., a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. The main influences on the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous are the Oxford Group, the Book of James from the New Testament, the Varieties of Religious Experience by William James, the Sermon on the Mount, and the Common Sense of Drinking by Richard Peabody. Emmett Fox wrote the Sermon on the Mount, sorry. 
The Common Sense of Drinking by Richard Peabody is a book that was written in 1931 by a man who died drunk in 1936. But there was something that he had right. And what he had right was this. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. And this book was so impactful that Bill Wilson's copy of the book is on display at the AA archives in New York City. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic, but there's more to it. I love the imagery here. If we are planning to stop drinking, there must be no reservation of any kind. In other words, we must, we must throw ourselves, we must throw everything we have into our recovery, nor any lurking notion. Villains lurk, Wolfman lurks, Dracula lurks. But Superman doesn't. He walks upright. Batman doesn't. He walks upright. The disease lurks around that someday we will be immune to alcohol. This disease is a permanent situation that does not stay the same. It gets worse over time. Life changes. Things happen. People die. People are born. Things happen. Some we like, some we don't like. But this is immutable. It is as gravity. It is as day follows night. This disease is a constant. And it will get worse over time, never better, no matter whether I'm in recovery or not. Just because I have not compulsively overeaten in over 19 years does not mean that my illness has not progressed. That means I have to work my program harder today than I did yesterday. I want to rest on my laurels. I'm in sales. I'm having a really good week in sales. I've had a really good week selling uh, my product. I'd like to rest Gentle on my laurels. reminder. But today I have to work harder at everything in recovery because there is no resting. We can only coast downhill. With that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Harlan. Barbara, it is your turn. Thank you so much. And Maura, Z, thank you for your service. Everyone has been so awesome. Every single one of you I've learned from all of you, my fellows. My sponsee said me, sent me, a set-aside prayer yesterday, a cute little one, which I will share with you. It comes from her. Dear God, please get between me and the food before the food gets between me and you. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. In a short time, I know I would be as bad as ever. This disease is indeed progressive. Even if I'm sober, even if I'm sober for a week, a year, a decade, only one thing can save me, the steps and living in 10, 11, and 12, and maintaining and perfecting my spiritual life. Perfecting means getting more involved, not less, being less me-centered and more other-centered, being there for others and listening and only giving advice when asked for. I love the idea of sponsors asking their sponsees to call other fellows and ask about what they're doing in the program. 
what was most important in the doctor's opinion in more about alcoholism, how that they did step nine. It just maintains the link. It is so important to me. I have taken the opportunity to highlight in my book, in red, all the warnings that are given us if we don't go forward. And this chapter is filled with red magic markers for me. I know we're not in we agnostics at the time, but that first paragraph says, on page 44, we hope we've made clear the distinction between the alcoholic and the non-alcoholic. If when, if when you honestly want to, you cannot quit entirely, or when drinking, you have little control over the amount you take, you may be alcoholic. I cannot entertain the lurking idea that I am cured. I am absolutely not cured. I am recovered, as someone said, but not cured. And I must know it in my heart. Absolute inability to leave it alone. I had planned binges where I would go out and buy what I wanted, hide what I wanted, eat what I wanted, then dispose of the containers so no one would see it. But who was I kidding? I was wearing it on my body. Of course they knew it. Power. Gentle reminder. Oh, thank you so much. The power of this program has enabled me to go forward, recovered but not cured, a pickle, never a cucumber again. Blessed day, everyone. I pass. Thank you, Barbara E. Okay, so to those who have joined us late, later, not late, um, we are on page 33 in More About Alcoholism. We read the first paragraph that starts, this case contains a powerful lesson. And who would like to share next? Jen A. Okay, none of you did I hear. Joe Ellie. Jen A. Jen A. Kim G. I heard something from South Jersey. Was that Kim? That was was Kim. And then Joe M. Okay. Oh, Joe M. Thank you. Nessa R. Nessa R. Polly B. Polly B. Let's stop there. I've got Jen A, Kim G, Joe M, Nessa R, and Polly B. Jen A, please go ahead. Good morning. Thank you so much for your service. Thanks for allowing me to share it this morning. My name is Jen A. I'm a compulsive overeater, anorexic, and bulimic, recovering in the state of Colorado. Um, I love it because this uh, case contains a powerful lesson. Well, my life day-to-day contains a powerful lesson for me, um, and it's been relevant as we're reading this week and as my phone continues to ring, and that's relapse. Um, and I am always constantly listening to the stories of relapse. And why is that? Because I want to know <laughs> where was program working for that person? Where, but then where did their world fall apart? Um, when something comes up, um, I, I want to be aware. I want to be on God's plan, um, not my plan. And I want to be able to subject myself to the process so something has to die. So I constantly listen to these stories because what I hear 
is um, that there is no power in that person, um, that they're blocked off from God, um, that they have no mental defense against that first drink or that first bite, um, that insanity that preceded that first drink or bite either. So that allergy in the body, the insanity of the mind, the craving beyond control, um, you know, we're all insane. It's a song that plays in my head all the time, insane in the membrane. And it plays over and over again in the chorus and it plays over and over in my head. Um, so how do I get out of that insanity? Um, well, the first thing I have to do is I have to access power and I have to access power from something bigger than myself. And by doing that, I have to actually admit powerlessness. And for me, um, admitting powerlessness to a group of like-minded people is how I'm going to access that power from God. And then I have to stay there and I have to work the steps. Um, and the biggest thing for me is just asking God for awareness, awareness um, for the, so that when something comes up, I can be aware. It's something that I need to work through. It's something I need to cut loose. And that's what, where I use, those, I use that step work, step 10. Um, I have to be on God's plan and not my plan. Um, and so basically, I just, I'm so grateful um, that we're reading about this because I can either sit in fear or I can go over and I can sit in the lap of my creator who is loving my higher power, the God that created me, um, who loves me unconditionally. And so um, I thank God for this big book and for the lessons it teaches and for the stories of relapse. And I'm just going to continue to keep listening to those stories um, in my home group, face-to-face um, -face and on the lines when people call. That's what keeps me sober. I'm so grateful for God. Thanks, and I'll pass. Thank you, Jen A. Kim G., it's your turn, followed by Joe M. Good morning, Mara. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kim G. I'm a recovered compulsive overreader from South Jersey. You know, one of my, um, one of my AA mentors, I haven't written in the front of my book something he said in a meeting, and it says, the big book meets you where you are and elevates you from there. And I'm just so grateful I had a new understanding listening to the shares today. So it says here, we have no reservations of any kind that we will be immune to alcohol. You know, and they're talking about the allergy. I never, ever, ever can have those foods again. I think often the delusion in OA is, well, when I get to goal weight, I can reconsider these foods. There's no such thing as a yellow food. The disease, you know, the, either it creates the phenomenon of craving or it doesn't. But the new awareness I got today is that this, this word immune reminded me on page 89 when we're introduced to working with others, it says nothing so much will ensure immunity from drinking than intensive work with other alcoholics. So where do I get immunity? I get immunity from the mental obsession. That the God will remove that so my allergy will never change. But if I work these steps, then a power greater than myself will intercede and I will not want to eat. That's the promise of OA. Not that I can someday eat these foods, but that when I get to step 12, I won't want to eat the foods. So I want to explain that's the difference. You know, I have this allergy. Absolutely never can have them. But I also have a mental twist, and the desire will be removed. And I wanted to explain there's a difference between abstinence and a food plan. I think we often get that confused. So my abstinence is, what are you abstaining from? What are those foods, those ingredients, and the behaviors that create the phenomenon of craving? That is never, ever, ever going to change. But yes, will my food plan change? Most likely, as I lose weight, maybe I'll have to change the portions. I'm, I personally went through menopause in the last couple years. 
had to change my food plan. When I broke my ankle seven years, I have to acknowledge that I have osteoporosis in my family and nutritionally I have to do something. And that's the difference. I don't care if we're diabetic, have high cholesterol or whatever. There's things within our food plan that we might have to do for our health, and that's about nutrition. But this is about addiction. I don't care how healthy my binge foods are. I don't even care if my doctor tells me these foods might help you with a nutritional value. If I know that these foods trigger the phenomenon of craving, I have to 100% concede to my innermost self. I can never, ever ever have those foods again. I have to grieve that and it has to die. But let me assure you, if you work through these steps and you get through step 12 on the other side, you will have immunity from drinking, which means you will not care that you never have to have those foods again. But you have to be willing to go through the uncomfortability of putting the food down and working these steps in order abstinent. And with that, I pass. Spot on time-wise. Thank you, Ms. Kim J. Joe M., it is your turn, followed by Nessa R. Thank you very much for your service, and good morning to everyone on the line. Most of us have believed that if we remained sober for a long stretch, we could therefore drink normally. If there is one huge acceptance that I have today about my addiction, is that chronological time gets me nothing. Nothing. Zero. Zilch. It never has, it doesn't today, and it never will. The passage of time has no effect on my addiction. It doesn't matter how many minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, or years, or decades that I'm abstinent. My addiction doesn't care about that. My addiction doesn't respond to that. It doesn't diminish because of that. It doesn't quiet down because of that. The only thing my addiction responds to is an experience of a power greater than myself, which I get through engaging the steps of the program as laid out in the big book. That's the only thing that has ever worked for me. Sometimes I'll get calls from people who are struggling, and they will say, I had six months of abstinence, and then they went back into the food. And I will say, that's probably your problem is that you had six months of abstinence, is you believed that you strung together chronological time and that that earned you something. It doesn't earn me anything. And if it does earn someone something, then they don't have the same condition that I do. So for me, it's very important, and I pass this on to the people I work with too and very clear about it. Chronological time means nothing. And I don't ever, I don't ever, ever share my story with anyone by saying, my name is Joe and I have X number of years of abstinence because it makes it sound like I've accomplished something, I've earned something, that that chronological time is an achievement and that my addiction cares about it. I don't ever do that. When someone asks me, how long have you been abstinent? I will answer the question, but I will also say, I engage this program every day like my life depends on it. That's what my addiction responds to. Thank you and I will pass. Thank you, Joe M. Nessa R., it's your turn, followed by Polly B. Thank you. Good morning, Vision, for you. My name is Nessa R., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. I, um, I was able to stop on the basis of um, uh, willpower alone many, many times, and I was successful most of those times. Um, but what was in my mind at that time was... Um, 
the um, I had no reservation whatsoever that once I was done the diet, that I would go back to the foods that I loved. And that's what sustained me through those prolonged periods, you know, could be up to a year, nothing like 25 years, but, you know, they were relatively long periods. And what sustained me was just the thought of everything that I was going to eat when I was done. And as soon as I passed that certain time benchmark, you know, uh, I went to my vacation or um, I got to wear that dress that I bought, you know, you know, so expensive or whatever, um, that wedding, whatever the benchmark was, as soon as I hit that benchmark, I was off to the races. And, uh, you know, now I haven't had the need to eat compulsively for over six years. And the difference between now and all those times is, number one, it doesn't require any willpower. It did at the very beginning, you know, when I first put down the food and became entirely abstinent, because it is uncomfortable to be entirely abstinent and not be recovered. And we all go through a, what could be a very short period of that, you know, when we're kind of in limbo and does require willpower. But for the most part, um, I don't use, I, I haven't used my willpower at all to keep me abstinent. And the, the reason for that is that now I have no lurking notion that one day I'm going to able to be able to eat a cheesecake um, that, you know, um, dominated my thoughts all those other times. And the difference now is that I am now sustained by a higher power. And that was a higher power um, that I let into my life. Um, and I let it into my life, uh, as has been shared so eloquently in the previous shares, um, by becoming entirely abstinent and working the steps and working the steps and working the steps quickly. Um, so, um, you know, this is, uh, nobody has to be, un nobody has to be uncomfortable uh, being abstinent for a long time. And we don't have to fight our thoughts. We don't have to use our willpower. We just do what these men and women did before us, uh, attain entire abstinence and work these steps. And with that, we have a, a, a solution that is so much better than, than, than anything I had before. Um, when um, I am connected, with, thank you, when I'm connected with God, when I'm connected with God, I have all that I need and I don't need the food anymore. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Nessa R. Polly B., it is your turn. Thank you, <clears throat> thank you, Team Friday. <clears throat> this is Polly B. Usually I'm intimidated to speak at the 7 a.m. meeting because uh, I, like someone else has said, I think about everyone else's share and that so-and-so's is a hard act to follow. And I had a light bulb moment uh, thinking with a capital T today about how to follow the giants. And I realized that's the point. Thinking about how isn't, isn't how I share. I can only share from my experience. And uh, this reminds me to put humility on my <clears throat> uh, character defect, how to uh, improve my character defects. I need to remind myself of humility every day. And that thinking may be useful 
There may be adaptations that I've fought myself to that help me survive. But as one teacher uh, tells me almost every day, if I'm going to follow the directions and work this program, there are no whys, there are no buts, and that there are only hows. And this paragraph says thinking, creative ideas, anything that's lurking in that domain are not variables in my recovery. They're only buts, and I don't need these buts. I don't need to know why my ideas, my lurking ideas, won't help me recover or stay recovered. This leads back to how, and how is not thinking. I have to stay recovered and continue to work my program without my ingenuity, without my creativity, without me figuring out anything other than continuing to move forward to do the work as a recovered guide and to grow my connection with a higher power so that I can give away what I've received without any lurking ideas. And I'll pass with that. Thank you. Holly B. Sorry. Um, okay, we have time for one three-minute share. Who would like that Larry? share? Larry, you've got it. Please go ahead. Uh, thanks, Maura. Um, you know, I just did, what a great meeting. And um, Larry K. Recovered Compulsive Reader. You know, I, someone had posed a question to me um, recently, and I, I don't even know that I, that I know the answer to it, but I did form an opinion, and I think it relates to what we read to. And what they asked is, they said, do you think it's possible where the obsession, the mental twist can be removed as the result of working these steps and you still are dominated by self. You still remain self-centered rather than God-centered. And I said, well, I, I, I don't know why, that I can find that answer in the big book, but I, I definitely, you know, a definitive answer, but I, I can definitely share my experience and, and my opinion on that. And, and my opinion is that when we work the steps and we follow these instructions precisely, not perfectly, but precisely, we experience a change, uh, a personality change sufficient to drive out, to eradicate the obsession. And when that obsession is eradicated, I don't believe that we're dominated by self anymore. I don't believe that there's, my opinion is, I don't believe that there's one person on this line that has worked the steps imperfectly but followed it in sequence, 1 through 12, that experienced a change where the obsession was lifted and they are still self-centered and dominated by self rather than dominated by a power greater than themselves. And I, I think that's really important for us to know is what is the purpose of this program? It is to effectuate a spiritual awakening. And you know what? The heavy lifting is not done by me. I just chop my wood. I roll my boat each day. God effectuates. God brings about that spiritual awakening that drives out the obsession and makes all sorts of other changes in us as well. And I'm, I'm so, so very grateful for that. With that, I'll pass. Thanks, Maura. Thank you, Larry. And thank you, everyone. What a fabulous meeting this morning. And Larry was our last share for the day. And thank you for everyone who has shared. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. And today's share ID 
is 11,115, 11115. We'll now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, and then we will follow that with the serenity prayer. Karen A., will you please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Good morning. This is Karen A. from Snowy, Michigan. Thank you, visionaries, and thank you, God, for this opportunity. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answer will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the happy road of destiny. May God bless you and keep you until 